This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Joey, you're you're in Oklahoma tonight. Uh, I'm actually in Texas. Oh, in Texas. So if that's, you had copy, that's the uh, that's adjacent to Oklahoma. That's correct. Yeah, I've been copy, practicing my I've been practicing my U.S. geography. There you go. I get yeah, all. I do uh, good. I do good in the in the Southwest and the West, even the Midwest. But man, I get out to the East. Holy shit, am I a mess? Yeah, you get further up north too. It's like it's a jumble. But well, those states are so small they can't even write the freaking state name on the state. Yeah, when you get they got to write it out in the Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. Once you get a leader line, it it kind (laughs) of kind of loses its statehood to to a degree. Looking at that map, so yeah. Ooh man. Is it muggy in Texas? Man, it's muggy. I'm at my mom's in Michigan. Oh, I'm just sweating right now. I'm out on her porch. Yeah. It's it's partly just it's muggy, and it's partly like I just housed two beef burgers. Like beef, (laughs) I'm not used to eating beef. Yeah. It's good while I'm eating it, but I kind of want to shoot myself afterwards. Like just these two fatty beef burgers well you know you gotta do it every once in a while so you know what you're missing right <laughs> yeah come back yeah. on the temptation next time oh man being in the midwest i just like it. being at my mom's like there's a lot of relatives around we're always going to potlucks and stuff <laughs> oh my god just all the like salads like potato salads and yeah Egg salad, cheese, macaroni. Yeah, yeah, cheese macaroni. Oh, so good, but not the kind of living that's gonna that would allow me to not become grossly overweight. So thank God I don't live here anymore. Yeah, a lot of mayonnaise involved, huh? Yeah. Oh my God! Last night they had there was a salad that had apples and mayo and chunks of chocolate in it. Yeah. That's called the cleaning out the pantry salad. Um I didn't know that that was what was in it when I got it. I thought <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was potato salad. <laughs> but it's not just here in Montana I went to that a I was at a barbecue a couple of years ago and somebody brought snicker salad. Have you ever heard of that? It had yeah. it had cream and grapes and crushed up or like chunked up Snickers bars. Dis <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> not a good. <laughs> I can't even imagine what to do something like that. But and the people that brought it were so stoked. They're like, ah, we brought sticker salad. <laughs> Wait till you see what mama whipped up this week. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah, I was up. You asked about Oklahoma. I was up there four or five of the last six days. So if you got me two days earlier, I would have been there. Mm. But oh my God, it's like 102 degrees. 
99.99% humidity, you know, it's just rough out there, but I'm always, hey. I'm always t- reluctant to discuss recent affairs because I, these air podcasts don't, episodes don't aren't airing until two months after they're recorded, sure. which I need to stop doing like after hunting season this year, I'm going to, it's my going to be my post hunting season resolution. Yeah. Have them come out promptly upon recording. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, we already kind of gave a hint because we're talking about how hot it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's July 5th and I just saw that June was the hottest month on record since it said since 1940 and maybe that's because they didn't have global temperature readings <laughs> so that it might be the hottest one on the record just because there wasn't records predating that you know sure. globally sure. Um, do you believe in human caused climate change uh i believe that there's a lot of factors that go in and to some degree i would say that every being causes or affects it to some level so I suppose by, you know, by that measure, you could, you could say I do. Um, yeah. But I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of factors and I don't pretend to understand all of them. I'm generally wary of anybody who claims to have all the answers about anything. But, yeah. It's, I, yeah. It, uh, what was I going to say? There was a couple, there was two things I was going to say. Oh, one of them is it's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I'm doing a study that I just finished a study it's really a data analysis of 30 years of weed data. Mm -hmm. See how weeds respond to precipitation patterns. There's this one goofy weed called cheatgrass that I've been working on that. Very familiar. Oh, you're familiar with it. Okay. Yep. Yep. So cheatgrass, it fall precipitation is the big driver of it. Mm -hmm. It's a winter annual germinates. Right. So, it if last fall was wet, then this spring there's a lot of it, and it's such a, that's such a, like an important thing that even if two falls ago were wet, there'll be more of it this summer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if it's dry this summer, these are all things I've like kind of verified through this study. If it's dry this summer, there'll be less of it this summer but more of it next summer. Uh, mm. So it, I've been like looking at climate change forecasts to see what the implications of all that stuff is sure. for cheatgrass. I mean, I'm not talking about, I will weigh in and say what I think about it, about the, the climate change forecast, but uh, I, that's not, I'm just, I'm just kind of taking it right now from the standpoint of if it were true, if X were true, then Y would obtain kind of a thing, you know? Right. But there's like, if somebody likes to think through a lot of stuff through from first principles, it's what do you do when, when you're confronted with, information that's so complex that you couldn't possibly 
formulate your own opinions about it by looking at the data. Yeah. Well, I think the first step is to just acknowledge that, I mean, in this, it's very difficult to talk about climate change without talking about the, uh, the inference that humans are not only causing it, but to some degree, we all have a moral uh, obligation to minimize our impacts and or you know, uh, be aware and see what we can do either for the betterment of other humans or for the natural world, right? And I think that it is completely undeniable that there are some humans, and whether that number is 1% or 100%, that by the manner we are living our lives, we are having negative effects on Mother Earth here, you know, depending on where you fall on that. And to that end, we obviously want to, at least in my personal life, I'm going to do everything I can to be a good steward of the earth and not, you know, go out there and say, well, to hell with this, right? If I'm, you know, for in whatever way, right? I don't think anybody's out there, you know, even the most oil and gas gung-ho guy is not like, man, I would love to just freaking, you know, nobody's happy about the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, right? Nobody's happy about these things. I think everybody understands that we're having some impact and maybe the obligation people feel. And then also, like you said, the data, I mean, it can be looked at so many different ways. And I work with a ton of guys who are data scientists and some of that stuff. I mean, I was on a call with a guy the other day and said, look, we can make these numbers say damn near whatever you want them to. What, you field, know? what field are you in? Well, I, I knew you, I thought you were a fishing. I like, I knew you were a fishing guide for a time, but. Yeah, kind of. That that's kind of unique. I did. I wasn't a fishing guide per se. I've never held a captain's license. Uh, I worked on private fishing boats, and I did a little bit of charter work here and there. But I was a mate, if you will. So if you're familiar, there's you know the the owner of the boat, you got the captain, and then you got a mate who's kind of working the back deck. And so that's what I did through college. Um, but while well, I got my engineering degree, and now I sit in an office. Oh, okay. Yeah, at our cabin in Alaska, you'd be the guy wearing the orange bibs. I do have a few pairs of orange bibs. Yep, oh, orange, is that conventional? Yellow. Is that yeah, conventional? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I no. thought that was just specific to the lodge next to our cabin. Oh, no. No, you got orange and white. There's Grundens, you know, or kind of. The no, classic. no, what I meant was is, the color. The, Okay, the dude driving the boat, that's the captain. Right. Generally the, speaking, yes. And then the, the the head cheese that's not driving the boat is the first is the what? On a fish on a guided fishing boat? Yeah, what we would generally say the mate. The mate. Right. I at our mate. cabin, the mate and the the captain wear yellow rain bibs and then the the what you did the grunt work guy wore orange ones yeah well no there i there certainly is not a delineated that you know the peons wear orange and the higher ups wear yellow at least not not anywhere i've worked okay okay gotcha but, yeah and you were a fishing guide or you were doing you were a fishing guide helper you know in oklahoma no no, all of my fishing work was in the Southeast. So I went to Florida State for college. Uh, the majority of my work was 
on the Florida coast. I've worked as far west as Louisiana. There's a little town called Venice, if you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very big tuna fishery. So as far west as that. And then the eastern most places I've worked, I spent a good bit of time in the Bahamas, kind of lived there for a little while, uh, fishing tournaments and whatnot, but blue water offshore fishing. And even within that, you're talking about charters, which is a good way for your average person to understand it. But I mostly worked on private boats. So a wealthy individual who owns a whatever, 65, 70 foot fishing boat. And uh, generally speaking, doing a lot of trolling, but we do a lot of bottom fishing too. Did a little bit of commercial fishing here and there, but uh, mostly it's, you know, a, a single individual owns the boat. It's for him, his family, his friends, his invitees, and everyone's on his payroll. Yeah. It'd be now that I think about it, it'd be kind of weird to have a boat with with like a captain, a first mate, and a, what is your position again? What, what yeah, a mate or a deckhand. A deckhand yeah. in Oklahoma because you're not even on the ocean. That's a lot yeah. of Yeah. Not a lot of salt water there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's fishing guides in Oklahoma, but it's probably not that elaborate. Yeah, paddlefish is a big thing there. There's a lot of guys fishing. Oh, it paddle. is? Yeah. Yeah, paddlefish is a big deal in Oklahoma. Oh, check this out. I uh, I normally don't like to give out any kind of information on my podcast because it kind of goes against the whole point in a lot of ways. I know. I think spot burning is kind of the the number one crime you can commit in this space. So don't do it on my behalf right oh, now. Oh, God. Okay, or I'm you gonna can say it in real general. Point. I'm going to say it in a real general, general <laughs> right. way. There's a, there's pat. So what are the paddle fish in the river? They're in the rivers. What rivers? I, yeah, I think that's general enough. They're in yeah, the big rivers I mean, they, there. I don't target them. I don't live in Oklahoma now. Uh, my family is probably, if anybody happens to listen to this, they're probably going to be wondering, why do they keep bringing up Oklahoma? You, um, used, so. you just moved to Texas from Oklahoma. No, I have never lived full time in Oklahoma. Oh, my family. Man, what's this with the, if anybody ever listens to this? <laughs> well, oh you know, God, you said man. down the line. That hurts. That hurts. Later. <laughs> I'm saying my analytics are through the roof it. right now. <laughs> no, uh, but by my standards, by my extremely humble standards, I'm, well, I hey. got I I got like almost a thousand people last. Oh, week. there you go. See, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's some way. I have no idea how many people listen there. Whatever. I'm, I'm glad you're getting the word out then. But yeah, man. Good. Yeah. Well, I I thought I was the the one guy riding around listening to you, but <laughs> good on. You. <laughs> well, I you know it just is a little bit of a throwback, man. I, I think you had something. Maybe you started on like Facebook and you said Ranella 3D. Oh or, yeah, the 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 glorified or demonetized. No, deep. D- Depublicize, deglorify, demonetize. That was my first movement. Yeah. And I had heard about that and I was like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm with this guy, man. hundred percent. Oh, especially like the deglorify stuff. And uh, then one day you just kind of disappeared and I was like, well, that was a good message while it lasted. But yeah. Now I'm no, back. I'm, now I'm back with a vengeance. Yeah. There you go. I was just, uh, I'll go ahead. We got too many hanging chads now. Go yeah. ahead, finish well, the Oklahoma, why I keep bringing Oklahoma. You were talking about Oklahoma in your email when we met. And right. Yeah. So oh, the, and you shot more deer in Oklahoma than anyone. Right. 
legally, I should say. I'm, I'm sure there's some guy with a spotlight who's got me doubled or tripled, but the, uh, yeah, the, lay all that out. Okay. So generally, if you don't mind, um, I lived in Florida most recently. I've moved to Texas. I live in the small town outside of Houston. Um, but my family has property in Oklahoma and, uh, that ranch is managed, you know, we've got a chunk that's managed for cattle and, and ag production. And then we have a chunk that's managed kind of for wildlife first. And we've got our piece of property in the middle. And then my good friend owns property on one side. His dad is on the other side. And so in the eyes of the state, we manage all that property, which is obviously private, uh, for wildlife. But also their two properties are exclusively managed for cattle. And all of that property is under one license for what's called DMAP, the Deer Manager's Assistance Program. And a lot of these states with large landowners, I know Texas is a huge one, have similar programs. And what they do is the state kind of directs us on deer surveys. We turn in our results. We do five deer surveys at a certain time of year. It's very by the book, they tell you exactly what they want you to do. Then based on that, they say, hey, you have, you know, this condition, you have too many does, you have too many bucks, you have too many deer in general, you have too few. They provide a harvest recommendation. And then based on that, they will give you tags in excess of what you can purchase over the counter for the purpose of uh, population reduction. Generally speaking, uh, in our area, we've got a big deer overpopulation issue. We're kind of in a transitional phase. A lot of people know that deer really like, you know, edge habitat. These are all whitetail, uh, just so we're clear. And as such, they issued us a whole bunch of doe tags. And so we work with the state and the number one and number two uh, deer killingest guys in Oklahoma this past year. And since they've started keeping track ever, the number one and two Uh, Numbers of deer killed legally in a season following all game laws, fair chase, everything were myself and this person didn't really consent to being on the podcast, but an immediate family member of mine were number one and two on the same property. Did you ask the person if you could mention their name? Uh, No, I did not. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because I'd be all booty hurt. If well, like the, if he disliked me so much that he would not lie. I don't think, I don't think it's that aired. as much as it is. Uh, well, you didn't uh, even ask him. He might've been enthusiastic about it. He may have. He may Call have, him up. But... Call that son of a bitch up. Ask him right now. <laughs> I was actually talking to him earlier today. He, uh, he tore his rotator cuff today, pulling hogs out of a hog trap. Oh, out there. So. He's uh he went to the ER out there in Podunk, Oklahoma, and he oh. may have to man. It's a mess. But that's uh that's one small microcosm of the sacrifices that are made to try to manage a property is the uh, the occasional torn rotator cuff, apparently. Oh, I did but, that last winter doing uh cleans and presses. And it healed you? all on its own. Oh, good for you. Like good I put you. tape. I couldn't lift my arm straight out in front of me. Yeah. Like yeah. I couldn't, I could not get my, like standing still with my arm at my side. I couldn't get my pinky in front of my calf. Oh, I put tape on the wall and then every day I'd go and I'd get a little higher and I'd move the tape, you know, and 
yeah, within two months, it's like it was gone, like it never happened. So I hope that that's what happens for your relative. Yeah, he was saying that he talked to his his surgeon, and I guess that there's types one, two, and three tears, and two and three always need surgery. It's definitely not a three. Mm. It's either a one or two. Two always needs it. One is 50-50. So, you know, fingers crossed on that one for him. But Well, so how many did you get? I killed 63 deer. Damn. All in legal hunting season, during legal hours. You know, there's depredation permits. People go out with spotlights. That's not what we were doing. These are all, you know, during season, following regulations, you know, with a bow during bow season, with a gun during gun season. So, so. I got I to gotta ask a, a challenging question. Mm-hmm. In my mind, there's a way, like a way more... I know this is true in a lot of the country with a lot of the species, but there's way more hunting desire for hunting opportunity than there is hunting opportunity. Is it, would it, if you would, would you've been able to find people that were like, Oh, I'd love to come out and shoot a doe and you could guide them or like not guide them like for money, but just take them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, you know, there's a few things to consider. One is that, you know, it's it, private property, especially the ones on either side and kind of the south part of our property are they're working cattle ranches. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong, right? You don't want any Tom, Dick and Harry out there. But well, I, I don't know about that. I work on a federally owned. I shouldn't even be talking about where I work. I know of there's federally owned like research ranches in the state where I live mm-hmm. where they allow hunting. Like places where every ranches that are research labs, where every cow on the entire place is enrolled in least one experiment, and they hmm. still allow public hunting. Sure. Well, I'll float this to you. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, so I'll tell you right now on all the properties put together, which kind of falls under this one DMAP thing. And to be clear, I, I'm sure you're aware of different programs run by, you know, fishing game departments, et cetera. Every deer that's killed is jaws pulled, it's aged, it's weighed, it's recorded ad nauseum, you know, all these different data points, right? Um, total, we killed 190 across Between all you the and your And your kin and your friends? And people who were invited out. Okay. Right. So you did. Okay. And I would guess I'd have to look through the harvest log. I would guess we're pushing 30 people who came out there. And oh, with them. Okay. I'll give you, so, I'll give you credit for that. When you're your shooting point, that many deer, is it with all of the rifle? No, uh, somewhere between a third and a half of mine were with a bow and then the remainder were with a rifle. So with the bow, it's mostly out of, you know, stands and ambush points and stuff I've set up. And then uh, during rifle season, actually, most of the time we'll have guests that'll come in and we'll set them up in a blind or what have you. And uh, what's the most yeah. you shot in a night or in a day, uh, let's say, in an entire in a single day? I think nine. God, uh, I had a morning. In fact, opening morning of rifle, I had five down before sunrise. So in that 30 minute window, it was five deer. And then I was like, all right, I better go get the buggy and start picking these things up because Damn, that's so many deer. Not one of these deer was wasted either. Not one of them was wasted. So uh, a lot of meat is processed and shared. And then I've 
heard you kind of opine on Hunters for the Hungry, uh, where we live there. Well, where our ranch is, I should say, I don't live there full time. Um, there is a very large population of people living in, you know, very desolate, just really austere conditions. And uh, I know for a fact that all that meat is taken. We'll take it down. I work with the butcher very closely and he grinds it all. It's distributed through a local church. They set out kind of the text message when a deer delivery is made. And we're talking now between that and, you know, big bumper crops from the garden and stuff that we donate to the food bank as well. Off of our ranch, almost 2000 meals have been donated in the last year. Mm. And I know for a fact, I understand your point. I understand that your average person may not be super hopped up on deer where we are. It's such a rural place. Eating deer is such a part of the culture. No, I, I can I can picture that. I think there's a lot of places where it goes to a food bank and then it never gets eaten. Uh, yeah. But I I, I believe you. I believe you because mm-hmm. like you're describing an area in the country where eating deer meat is ingrained, like you say, ingrained in the culture. Right, and everybody hunts out there. You know, I mean, it's. I don't know the percentages. If you took out the cities in Oklahoma, man, you'd have a hard time finding an adult male who does not own a lifetime hunting license, you know, and go out there every, you know, try to get out there every year. And there's a lot of folks out there and you have a relatively low population density. So, you know, I've been places where, you know, you'll have no problem finding people that want to shoot does, but for the number of deer out there, it does become challenging to find people who will, you know, not only, like I mentioned, shoot five deer in the morning, uh, but then take them all, record that info, uh, and then do something responsible with the meat, right? And so it's not for uh, lack of interested individuals. And I have people come out, you know, friends I knew from Florida. I grew up in Colorado. We have friends from Colorado who come out. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of opportunity that is shared around. And frankly, I mean, this is something to your point. I understand there's research ranches. There's people in walk-in hunting programs, you know, God love those people. And they're, you know, great for them for opening the doors. I know people who have been family friends for years who come out there and we say, look, the biologists say we need to shoot 200 does and eight bucks this year. That's what they say based on survey results. They go out there and we have them shoot bucks anyways. And I've been told, oh, well, we couldn't tell. And it's like, well, if you couldn't tell at 100 yards if that was a buck or a doe, I'm not. You you say we'll have them shoot bucks anyway. You're not saying you're directing them to shoot bucks. Correct. You're saying they'll shoot bucks even though they're not supposed to. Exactly. Even though you've directed them to not. Even though we've said, and you know, we've got a poster and we say, look at this. This is what you need to be looking at to make sure it's not a button buck. Mm. We're expected people to be able to verify. I mean, you know what a button buck looks like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so, hard when you're like, maybe when you're rifle hunting, he's 200 yards away, but. Right. Well, and in that case, you know, the argument is like, hey, man, be patient. Take your time. you got a scope. You've got binoculars. Watch the way they interact. If it's a group of deer, you know, and figure it yeah. out. And by all means, we expect some to be killed. But I killed 63 deer this year. I killed one four and a half year old buck with really subpar horns, uh, which was intentional um, to remove him. I killed one button buck, which I screwed up, right? I, I shot a button buck and I shot one deer on uh, December 2nd that was a sickly buck that had already shed his antlers. 
So I shot him based off size and being antlerless, got up to him and realized he was a buck that had shed already. So that just shows you it's possible because I shot 63 deer, two of them I misidentified, right? So there's no reason someone should come shoot one and they shoot an eight point this big. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, yeah, of course. Right, right. It's it's clearly that they're intentionally breaking the rules. How much land are on these? How much land are on these three places where these 190 deer were shot? Combined, we have we have 2,400 acres. That's wild. Yeah. So one of the pieces four square miles. Right. Right. (laughs) And it's you know it's a part of the world where has it always been like? I mean, not has it always been somewhat like that? Well, the over your life? No, not at all. Not at all. All three of these ranches were purchased within the last, certainly since COVID, certainly within the last three years. I'd say they were all, were all purchased since 2020. I, uh, I shot my first. Wait, wait, one of them's yours. Right. Well, not mine, my family's, but yes. But they've owned it for more than three years. No. Oh, you just got this place. Okay. Right. This place is relatively new to my family. Okay. So I think we're going into our, we're going into our, th- I think we just hit two or three years, maybe, maybe two. We're going into our third gear season yeah. right now. So. And I'm, I, I, uh, deal in generalities and then people, I let other people figure out with my stances and then I let other people figure out the fine points for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not here to walk people what through what their ethics should be. So I just like say in a very gross sense, what I think, you know, and I, and I, I probably err on the side of going too far the opposite direction of everybody else, because I see myself as the only person that's saying anything different. Yeah. I think of everybody in the whole, it like, if you take, if you think of the hunting media thing as like a yoga ball, I think everybody in the yoga ball is pretty much saying exactly the same thing. And then I think of myself as like a little tiny grain of sand that's saying something different that any thinking person, if they really thought about it, Pete, you know, who's on my side big time is people that don't hunt. They look at these issues and I run them by people that don't hunt. within five minutes. They're like, well, yeah, I think like you, the grain of sand guy, not by like the yoga ball people, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I say I'm a, I'm opposed to hunters for the hungry, uh, and I'm opposed to people that like justify shooting grotesque, grotesque numbers of animals uh, and justify it by like that they give them away. I have in my mind in one. Okay. So in your case, you got, you are dealing with deer that are of, of past proportions. Right. And whereas I think it's incumbent, incumbent on you and your in your the other ranch owners and family to provide opportunities for others if there if there's other people in your community that want to hunt deer and they don't have where to go or anywhere to go if it was if I was in your shoes let me just put it that way let me now put it like what you should do 
would I, in my, if I was in your shoes, I'd be at least doing my best to make sure that people that like were, were like responsible folks that just needed a place to hunt and wanted some deer meat to like provide them a little bit of opportunity. If I was in your shoes, sounds like you do some of that, you know, that's up to you to figure out, but you know, I, that's, I'd be erring on the side of trying to make sure people in the community, people that wanted to shoot a doe had some place to shoot one. If I was shooting 63 of them or 60 of them. Uh, and then, but so, but on the other hand, like, so I don't, I don't take a strong negative stance on that at all. Now, like, let's say somebody comes to Montana, goes on a leased land hunt on a land, on a ranch that everybody else used to be hunt, able to hunt in the community by banging on the door. Uh, maybe it was involved enrolled in a, in block management or something, but now it's leased out by some outfitter or some guy from, from New York and he brings all his buddies and they come out and they shoot their deer, bring them all to the food bank and fly the head home. I think that that's like not as good as when local community members used to be able to go out there and hunt and then that cherish the meat. I think that's a less good situation. I think what you just described I think I think a very large percentage of people would take some level of issue with what you just described, regardless of where it is along the line. But I would imagine that the ranch owner in the scenario you just described would take issue with that. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that I don't think that it's like every single person who touches that is complicit in exactly the scenario you just described. I guarantee you that what you just described absolutely happens. I totally agree. I totally The only person that I'm sure I blame in that scenario is the hunter that did it. Right. Right. And I have a good friend uh, who outfits in Kansas. Uh, I'm actually hoping to make it up there with him this year. We'll see how the trout treats him. But he outfits for deer in Kansas. And he specifically says, if you hunt with me, you will take at least four quarters, two back straps, and two tenderloins bare minimum. You will not donate it. You will not leave it with me. You will not leave it for the coyotes, et cetera. Right. Which to some degree you could say, yeah, that's like wanting waste laws. But the fact that he puts this in his contract, he says, you're going to drive away with it in your cooler. We're not going to take it into town. I don't have people lined up to come get them. Right. So that absolutely happens. I mean, what you're saying is, is definitely part of it, but I think that from what I gather and please correct me if I'm wrong, the most atrocious part of that scenario you just laid out to me is that that land is no longer accessible to, you know, basically the public, if you will, who are trying to access, trying to find a place to go hunt. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah. I, I, I don't know, like to rank those things. I, but that's I a big part of, of it. Yeah, minimum. it's a huge, it definitely, it's a huge part of it. I, I yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, I could just say that that's, a, a less good um, hunting situation. I know that, right? You know. Well, I would, I would say, um, I think we can all agree that hunting and hunting access and access to these animals has a value, right? And there is a value placed on that. And I live in Texas, and I'm sure you've heard, you know, 
I think hunters outside of Texas kind of have like this grandiose view of what hunting in Texas is. And it's somewhat hilarious to me, but it's also a little bit sad. Um, oh, if, if, of- uh, if somebody could labor under misconceptions that somebody would be me. So I'm looking forward to what you have to say. I mean, I've well, gotten a, a lot of education, uh, sure. nation, na- nationwide education in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm sure you have. You're talking to people from all over, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, but even within this, there are properties in Texas and Oklahoma, a portion of our property would fit under this category. Uh, they're all over the country. There's a ton in Iowa, Missouri, wherever, Utah where these properties are owned for the sole and explicit purpose of wildlife management and how that manifests itself is harvesting game animals for either for pay, right? Taking hunters, guiding, outfitting, et cetera, or by a landowner who has the means, right? We talked about the wealthy boat owner earlier. This guy, instead of buying a boat, he bought land. And now this is his little piece for him and his family, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. So just by virtue of that, if someone's going to go to if you go to Maverick County, Texas, which is big book central and there's kind of the golden triangle, there's three counties, but Maverick County is the big one. And you buy a good piece of whitetail land, you're going to pay four thousand dollars an acre and you're likely not going to run cattle on it. Right. If you buy it specifically for hunting. Yeah. So you're paying a lot of money. If you buy 100 acres, which is small by Texas standards. Right. You just paid nearly half a million bucks just to have a place to hunt. That is absolutely putting a value on that land. That person, in theory, is going to you know, pour time and effort and money into that land. I'll tell you right now, I put a ton of time and effort and money into our place in Oklahoma. Right now, I've probably got 300 to 400 tick and sugar bites, right, because of all the work we put in out there over the last What week. were you doing? Well, I was doing a few things. One, we were hanging cameras, which I understand is not like a habitat improvement, but it's the time of year we get those out. We were putting out mineral for the deer. We do a lot of invasive control. So we were talking about weeds earlier. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a weed called Saracea lespidiza. Does that ring a bell? No. What's the common name? We just call it Saracea lespidiza. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm sure, basically, I mean, there's all, yeah, I'm not, but there's other Lespedezas that I'm familiar with. Yeah. And, uh, this one is the, the land was coal mined and this particular area, uh, has when the miners left, there's erosion problems. So they, you know, spread this fast growing, you know, plant, which shocker became invasive and it's choking. Oh, this is something they sowed intentionally. Yeah, well, years and years back, yeah. right? Kind of, you know, people, we look back constantly at people even 50 years ago and say, what the hell were they thinking? And that's kind yeah. of the scenario. The, yeah, in, in well, where I live, the quick and dirty plant, when you have abandoned farmland or or back in the day when it was a coal mine or something or a gravel pit was was crested wheatgrass. Yeah. And, yeah. and the same same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Once you put that in, boy, good luck getting rid of it. Yeah. Johnson grass is another one we fight. Okay. To Johnson okay. grass, you know, and all these things. So we plant acreage and food plots. We do a lot of prescribed burns. Prescribed burns take work year round. We do a lot of uh, work, honestly, just, you know, keeping those trails and fire breaks clear. Uh, you know, there's always work to do. I mentioned hog trapping. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's work. Uh, we've got a serious issue. Uh, the turkeys are really suffering in our area from the kind of boom of skunks and raccoons and possums. I wasn't doing that this week, but we spent a lot of time trapping. Why them. are s- skunks and raccoons and possums kicking ass? Well, for starts, a lack of large predators and an influx of, frankly, uh, people who leave a lot of garbage around. Oh. And you get a lot of abandoned farmhouses and abandoned, you know, dilapidated shacks and stuff out there. You have people putting out uh, stuff like uh, soybean hay, which is basically just high calorie food that they can come access, you know, where it's stacked up in the barns. You have. You didn't know, I just hear putting out green? Didn't I just hear that Oklahoma, like the back black bears are doing better there? I wouldn't be surprised. We've gotten one picture ever of a black bear on our place on camera. And it was a very exciting moment. I just saw something about that. You know what else I saw? Man, I sound like I'm somebody that follows this shit and I'm not. (laughs) But I just saw where your state, where not your state, God damn it. Where (laughs) the state where your family's place is just had its first two chronic wasting deer. That's true. That is true. Yesterday or the day before I saw that. Yeah. In fact, I sent a message kind of in the family group chat about the ranch a little while back uh, when that first one tested positive, that was all the way out in the panhandle. We're a little further East. We're in Indian territory. Um, but that's a, uh, you know, it's something we knew was coming. Every state that borders us on every side had it. And mm-hmm. it's basically just a matter of time until someone acknowledges it. Right. 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 So, sure. And we actually, as a matter of fact, because I'm telling you, we absolutely prioritize conservation and us owning that land is good for these animals. Uh, we had a sickly deer last year that was showing up on camera, was hanging out, laying in the field and, uh, you know, hanging out by a pond. And so we called the biologist. We talked to them about, we said, Hey, this may be a case of CWD, whatever. Uh, they took a look at it. Uh, we found the dead deer, you know, it died while it was still in velvet and something like July or August, we found it. We sent samples. We work with the state level biologist and we work with our local biologist, you know, to try to make sure that we're helping uh, in any way that we can for, you know, the the management of wildlife in general in the state. So, so could you tell me the name of that plant again? Aracea lespediza. Wait, how do you spell the the, the genus? Oh, geez. Now you got me. Uh, I think it's S-E-R-I-C-E-A. L-E-S-P. Is the second word Lespedeza? Let me pull it up here. Saracia. Yeah, S E R. Oh, that's not, but what I get is not a grass. No. Oh, no, it's not a grass. Oh, they planted a, this. They planted, okay, they planted this uh, on the abandoned mine, on the abandoned coal mining land. It says common names Chinese bush clover. Or oh, just it's a legume. Yeah. Okay. It's native to Asia. But there's okay. a lot of beneficial legumes out there, including soybeans, right, that we're planting in our food. Well, stuff, right. nothing's eaten. Yeah. Oh, nothing eats the soybeans? No, the Saracea lespedeza. Oh, no. Okay. Right. Okay. No, I mean, there's tons of beneficial legumes. There's trees. That's actually one. We were there's- talking about Maverick County earlier, which is known for just giant bucks. Something like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80%. I talked to a biologist about this. Of those native plants are high protein legumes, 
which is one of the reasons that even though it's so hot and you wouldn't expect deer to grow real big, they're getting tons and tons of protein all year from that. Oh, so, okay. But, yeah. But you know why legumes are high in protein? Mm-hmm. You do? Mm-hmm. You do know why? I'm sorry. Say that again. Do you know why legumes are high in protein? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you said, did you know that legumes are high in protein? No. I said, yes. <laughs> no, why is that? Um, so the legumes form a symbiotic relationship with, with soil bacteria that they, they form these root nodules, these little... Mm-hmm balls on the roots totally. and the bacteria live in there and they are able to take atmospheric nitrogen like n2 right that's the that that's the form that occurs in the atmosphere and then they can transform it into the form that plants need which is nitrate no3 mm-hmm. and in exchange for that the plant gives the bacteria a carbon source. So that's how that works. Totally. Yeah. Oh, and oh that's yeah, actually- but that's not complete. That's not complete. Nitrogen. So then nit- the nitrogen is the building block of proteins. That's what proteins are made right. out of. Right. So what your DNA does, maybe you know this part, but maybe other people don't. What your DNA does is it take it. Your DNA takes um, nucleic acids, which are nitrogen-rich compounds, and then strings them together to make proteins. It's like a map for building Mm -hmm. proteins. But anyway, yeah, so that's why legumes have a lot of nitrogen in them. Well, and that nitrogen is – so the protein is fantastic for, you know, our turkey and our deer and stuff that are running around eating it. But that nitrogen is a big part of why we're able to get by – we run kind of a – regenerative ag program on just food plots, not stuff that's planted for cattle, which we also run regeneratively, just our food plots. We're looking at 65 ish acres and that's all regenerative. And what makes it regenerative? We do not till, uh, we don't apply synthetic fertilizers. Uh, we don't ever disturb the soil. Right. So, uh, those legumes though, as they fix that nitrogen, right. Not only are they, yes, providing protein, which is good for the right now for the animals, but they're building that soil. They build that microbes. You get a lot more of that kind of, uh, you, get, you know, carbon above. But that nitrogen, I mean, if you know anything about, you know, talk to a farmer about what he's putting out most of, it's nitrogen pretty much every time. Oh, yeah. Right. And so that's the that's the big expensive synthetic fertilizer, urea. That's what it is, is nitrogen. And so we've got our sun hemp. We've got our mung beans. Nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus yeah. are the big yeah. But nitrogen yep, is the biggest. Unless yep. you're growing a legume, then you don't right. put any of it down. Right. Yeah. And there's different things that are, you know, more and less important for, for different crops. And, you know, we do our soil tests and I just send 14 soil tests and got those results back. We look at them and we ensure that, you know, our carbon content is increasing. So just like you talked about with at the beginning, we talked about climate change, right? And we're sequestering carbon into the soil. As you see that organic matter climb by us basically incorporating more and more decomposing plant matter in that organic matter building up is sequestering carbon and holding it as opposed to, you know, tillage and stuff like that. Yeah, that's good. But I've ran the numbers on that. 
a few years yeah. ago. So there's been, there's actually been people that have done experiments on this, but I, I, which I, I'm, I don't see the value of because all good on you. There's all kinds of, there's all kinds of very environmentally, ecologically, but, but uh, ecological and environmental reasons to have high organic matter content in soil. So that I am so on board with that. But well, from carbon, a carbon sink perspective, car, car, carbon sink carbon sink standpoint, it's, not, it's yeah. riv, it does not matter. Well, because what you say, absolutely. And then, like I was talking about with prescribed burns, right? Like that's releasing carbon back out there. We're burning diesel fuel, right? To, to mow these, yeah. it, not mow, but plant. We don't mow our food plots, but you know, it's like all these things, but all this goes back to a point I was making earlier. And I'm on board with public land, man. When I started hunting, that's what I had. I went on public land. Uh, the first time I went big game hunting was I was in college. So I grew up small game hunting. I was in college. I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. I was in Florida. Florida public land, you know, there's there's a lot of people that hunt in rural Florida and it's hammered pretty hard. I went 32 times before I saw a legal deer and I shot it and that was my first deer and I was like, oh, that's right? cool. So that's cool. 32 times. And that's that's, what, that's a shit I like, man, is when you work your ass off and get something. Unfortunately, I don't have that one in here. It's in my garage, but it's a little tiny eight point. And man, oh, dude, I could probably I the probably the you had more the probably the most gratifying deer you've ever shot. Oh man, dude, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe this, right? And your first time and like figuring it out, finding my own spot, going out there, figuring it out, doing it on my own. Fantastic. So I'm all in on public land. I'm in for, you know, people having a place to hunt. The thing that I think maybe gets overlooked and I've spent a lot of time hunting access. I've spent a lot of time working to get permission to hunt, you know, helping farmers with stuff, uh, you know, ranchers, et cetera. Um, kissing up to people, right? Doing everything I can in the off season. So let me go deer hunt. But the thing that I think it's overlooked is that the best conservation that is happening right now is people who are doing it because they love the wildlife and they love the animals. And that's happening on private land. And I'll tell you right now, I understand your point about, hey, I only want to hunt where it's a challenge and public land and stuff. But I'll tell you, if everything went away and you could go hunt anywhere, and, you know, you wanted the best odds of seeing a really big bull or really big deer or whatever. You would probably point your truck towards a piece that's being managed specifically for that. Right. And there's a lot of public land that, frankly, through no fault of the government or BLM or Forest Service, it can't get the kind of intensive management that it would need to maximize production and habitat quality. And we see it. We hear people talk about fire suppression. We hear people talk about excessive uh, recreational use, like places I grew up in Colorado were just so overrun now with backcountry skiers and nighttime hikers and just these obscure things. And, oh, by the way, hunting pressure, it is unbelievable. There's 40 trucks at a trailhead. I know for a fact that trail only goes three miles back in, right? So that means you got, what, 40, 80 people hunting right in a spot. That pressure, that's not good for these animals, man. And I probably wouldn't be that bad. It wouldn't be that bad if people would let other people on. See, yes, but it's like to what 
to what extent, man? The easier to the you extent make that the, people the, to hunt, the more people are going to get in and stay in. Right? Wait, wait, wait. The more what's that? Okay, so if you've got, let's say every year there's a certain number of people who come up and who go to some, I am totally on board with you with this. They go to some stupid BHA event or they see some stupid shit on Instagram and think, wow, that's so cool. I'm going to be just like this dick balls, right? And yep. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go, here's my trailhead. And I got my OTC elk tag or, you know, or over the counter deer in, I don't know, Missouri or uh, you pick a place, right? And they go in there and they set it up and they're trying to do it. Okay, you have a huge attrition every year from people who are like, all right, this is ridiculous. I hang my tree stand. I get up here. Opening morning, I see 30 other tree stands. You're getting attrition there. The more that you keep letting people hunt and do so for free, and I'm not opposed to this. You know, I'm all in on being nice to people and everything. But the more you do that, the more people are going to get in and stay in. Hey. I've got you should. No yeah, but you just do it like you let people on that have been hunting for 10 years or more. Then. All right. If you make that specific thing where it's like you've put your time in. You've well, I mean, it's your property. You got to decide what you're going to do. But you could be like that. That could be one way to mitigate what you're talking about with, you know, bringing. Yeah, more but there's but here's the thing. There's 40 trucks at that trailhead. There's 40 at the next one. There's 40 at the next one. I let two guys come. All right. Now you got 39 at this one and 39 at that one. Did I change? Okay, okay. I agree. Like, back there, running away from every. Oh, no, you're saying here. some. You're saying some deeply true shit right now, and I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to do both things, like so. And man, and I'm I'm of I'm of like sixteen minds of what I'm trying <laughs> to do. I believe in everything I'm trying to do, but which? So, in my mind, what hunt quietly is is it's like I'm. It's my little tiny eensy weensy little platform for saying like for spitting truth about hunting stuff. And what you're talking about is freaking true. So I say that hunting promotion is the problem. And then, but I also work on access because that's a band-aid. So like, you know, even, even if I can't get anywhere with the problem, maybe I can help with the bandaid a little bit, but you're, what you're saying is absolutely true that a lot of the problems would dissipate if it, if, if, if it wasn't for hunting promotion. Well, I mean, God love you, man. I, I love where you're coming from. I think your heart's in the right place and everything, but here's, uh, I don't want to say something I'm going to regret. No, no, I'm man, don't be, don't of, be, don't be like picking your words carefully. No, I'm, I'm just like, my feelings. I'm fed up. I'm I, everybody fed up. in the yoga ball is against me. It's like, I well, can't take it. Everybody in the yoga ball is out there going, oh, access, oh, access. And I'm so fed up with your bullshit about access. And here's why, man. Here's why. I'm pro access to public lands. Obviously, I think hunting should no, be I'm trying to work on pro- access to private lands. But here's the thing is everybody gets behind that. You know where the elk are doing best is places with difficult access, right? It's those places. And I know we all, let's take the worst possible. Wait, so I'm talking to a guy that's like shooting 63 deer a year. That's saying that like. Hold on. You're talking to a guy. It's easy for you to say that we shouldn't worry. People hunting last year. (laughs) 
But here's the thing. Here's, okay. here's why. Here's why. This you can see where I, you can see where it's a little bit. Like, I do, and the sound it's a little like, bit easy to like character caricature you as <laughs> totally hundred percent. And this is why I said I'm hesitant to say this because the sound bite is not good, and I acknowledge that. No, but, there's no sound sound bites. People are going to listen. Can listen. Here's to the, the thing, thing: is that these areas that are tougher to access, right? Be that through frankly paying right in outfitters managing and limiting the number of people who go on areas that are difficult to access because you have to hike in eight miles areas that are difficult to access because you have to even draw a tag that's hard to draw these areas are where one the best hunting is and two the animals are doing the best you have so many places i grew up in colorado i've gone back to hunt elk i don't know five times maybe this might be my sixth time going back to hunt elk there again this year the elk do not act like elk in September. They act like people avoiding machines because there are so many people out there, mm-hmm. right? And yes. you go to these places where I'm not going to lie. I don't like that I can't hunt down there on this $100 million ranch. But guess what? The elk down there are acting like elk, right? And I don't like you know, the experience of going out there and seeing 100 people and the ass end of one elk going over the next ridge. Maybe that's just because I suck at hunting. I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. But to some degree, you have animals that are spending their whole life running scared. And these areas with restricted access, even such as our property, right? Because that while we may open up and let a lot of people come hunt, we try to lay out very specific rules. We have rules like you do not shoot anytime there's a buggy around running right? A side-by-side or a truck, right? You don't shoot, right? At the last minute of light, you certainly don't do anything illegal, right? You don't use artificial light. You don't do any of this. These areas with a little bit of restriction on them are where the hunting is the best. And if you simply say, I want equal access to everything, it seems to me like in your utopia, there's no paid hunting. Everybody has access to everywhere. And you can go, and I could start walking here in Texas, and I could walk to you in Michigan, and I could walk to your place in Montana, and I'd be able to hunt every piece of land. Well, that sounds great. What you're saying to me, it sounds like there are places right now where hunting is really good. And there are places where everybody can hunt and it's crowded and it sucks. So let's take these places that are really good and make them also suck. Do you see how that comes across a little bit? Sometimes? Wow. This is the most fascinating discussion I could have hoped to have. <laughs> oh, this is great. This is great. Okay. This is a great, I never thought I would have somebody on the podcast who was like (laughs) anti-access. I'm not anti-access. Again, you're oversimplifying it, but I'm not anti-access. I think that places that have a little bit of sanctuary for these poor animals in these states where tag numbers have tripled in the last four years. Maybe it's not the worst thing for them to have a place that they can go where every Tom, Dick, and Harry isn't shooting at them. Do you want there to be more of those places? Not necessarily. So I, in I, Montana, we're losing acreage to this. We're losing, we're losing um, our block management program, which is a sportsman-funded program that compensates ranchers and farmers for allowing public hunting. It's shrinking. Right. And in the... And uh, it's going, and they're losing acres to outfitters, and they're losing acres to uh, Land Trust, this company 
that takes yeah, over. They take over. They just they go to the farmer or rancher and say, "Hey, look, how about you get rid of block management instead? We'll orchestrate your hunting, and you can pay, and we'll people will pay you to hunt your place, and then you can pay us a little bit." So is that that's is that an improvement? Well, if the farmer is doing that, and I'm very pro ag, right? I'm very pro farming. I'm pro ranching. All that. If the farmer or rancher or landowner, because a lot of times they're leasing the land to the rancher or farmer, goes with land trust, there's a reason. And it's one of two things, right? It's either one, they're getting more money from land trust, which I suspect is often the case, or two, they're sick of people rutting up fields, driving where they shouldn't be, leaving gates open. You know, it's yeah. yeah. If it's, someone leaves I'm, your gates open and your shit gets out, I, we just had one of these goat ropes. Uh, two days ago in Oklahoma, my buddy Steers got out. It's a shit show. But like when that happens, that only happens two or three times. And you're like, hmm, not sure I want every Yahoo to be. No, I, oh, well, I get that. And then, I mean, there's several things that say, okay, if we don't work on that and we don't try to, sure. if we don't try to um, encourage people to put up with the hassle, then we're Europe. If we want well, to, now let me and that's a lot. What I'm saying is like, I am just saying, you know, if we're going to become Europe, let's acknowledge that we're going to become Europe. Let's say that's a good thing. And now we're Europe. Now you pay to go hunt. That is the way. And that's, to me, that's a fundamental shift. And it's noteworthy. It's worth Maybe, at least but, noting. But, all right, now i got two things I want to say. So I'm going to have to pick one and run with it. But the if the guy is getting paid more through land trust, right, we've already established. So we talked about, like, people are being assholes. And yeah, that's a problem. But the other option that I mentioned is he's getting more money through land trust. And we've already established that, and we mutually agree, that access to land, access to hunting has value. So why should everybody get to benefit from that except for the guy paying taxes on the land? Because right? he gets he gets shitloads of money from the taxpayer, shitloads. Well, that's a whole separate thing, right? Because no, it's not. It is completely unseparate to me. To me, that that is not a separate thing. If you get money through the farm bill for producing rice or corn or well, that's not it. or whatever, that's else, all. That's not it. They get money from Equip. They get Equip. They get money from CRP. They get a huge amount of money from federal farm and ranch in, insurance. I was just well, talking. I to know for a fact that that you know the purpose of CRP. And I'm going to very briefly state it for those listening, but it's so that the dust bowl doesn't happen again, right? Uh, they want some areas to be conserved because there's value that's in conservation. A, that is a, I wish I wouldn't even have said CRP because that is an incredibly minuscule fraction of what the farm and ranch community gets in terms of tax dollars from yeah. from from the hunting community and everybody else. Okay. Biggest source is probably crop insurance. I was just talking to a guy the other night that his company manages cattle ranches. So they it's typically wealthy people that buy cattle ranches. And they're like, hey, we don't want to manage this cat, cattle ranch. We want it as a tax write-off. Well, you manage our cattle ranch and this company, they hire folks that grew up on cattle ranches know what the hell they're doing, move them out there. They manage the cattle. They do the marketing. 
they sell the cattle, you know, all of it. And the, and then the owner doesn't have to do anything and they are making shit loads of money off of, uh, crop insurance. You can put it, you put you, if you sign, if you take in a, a policy, a federal policy on crop insurance, like a federally subsidized insurance policy, it like you, if you don't get some amount of rainfall by some certain date, you get a huge payoff. And the, the ranches that these guys are managing, they're, they're averaging over the last several years, like $400,000 per ranch off the taxpayer just for that. Yeah. So this well, bit about it's my land and I had to pay the taxes, but it's just not that simple. Well, since it's such a cash cow to own one, right? Then why wouldn't you just go out, Mr. Vanilla, and go get a farm loan? Because I'm sure you know the ag credit is subsidized, right? So go do that and go do exactly what they're doing since it's such a cash cow, and then you'll have land on. I don't have I don't have enough money to buy a ranch, and I don't have any interest in owning a ranch and I don't have any interest in paying for my hunting opportunity. I would, well, I would, I, say you, I would general, you see, you say you don't pay for hunting opportunity, but you do man, because here's why just in the way that some guy may pay for a lease to get a little bit less pressure from other people. And a lot of these leases, it's not like I would guess that 90 plus percent of leases are guys who go in with six or eight or 10 buddies to lease a 500 acre piece. It's not all these, I'm sure it, I know it happens sometimes, but it's not one guy leasing 10,000 acres, right? He cobbles something together to have slightly less hunting pressure and a place he can go where he knows a stand won't get fucked with, right? And he puts a little money into that. You, and please correct a me if little, I'm wrong because I don't claim a to know little. About Did you. you just recite some figure like, what was it, 400 bucks an acre? No, what? No, I said in some Texas, guys, didn't you say four? Oh, bucks. four thousand for buying a big piece down in that's big buck central, man. That's that's a different world. But the thing is that what I'm specifically talking about is those guys are paying a thousand bucks a year, right, to have a place with a little less pressure. You're spending money and time and effort to own llamas to get you away from hunting pressure, right? No. No, I mean, my sure, my llamas cost me. I did that's not why I got my llamas. I hunt public land with my llamas. I don't use my dollar to make it so that other people can't go places. And that is a, a, a very huge, that's a huge distinction. I Nothing I do with my money makes it so that you can't go there. I understand that, but it's, don't you think it's a That's, little ridiculous? No, well, I don't know where the butt is with that. I mean, there's a huge difference to me between being like, I'm going to pay this money so that only I can hunt there. And I'm going to pay this money so that I don't herniate another disc carrying 200 pounds of elk meat. That just seems like a distinction. Like a no well, I see how you can say that yours is good. And I, I understand you spending that money and doing your thing doesn't make it so someone else can't go that far. I, I don't, I'm even on board with, I love public land outfitters. Okay. I set well, my, I, one of my favorite camping spots is two miles from you're a public land outfitter. That for me. He's not making to, it so I can't go there. So I'm. But your argument is that if I go lease a place, then I am 
kicking someone else off that place, right? You no, know, it's it's okay. Okay. I am arguing that okay, here's a couple things I'm arguing. Don't if you're gonna lease a place and then shoot some big deer, please, for the love of God, at least keep it off social media. Because it's not an accomplishment. You bought it. Okay. You bought it. And and and, and, and don't at least don't perpetuate the pay to play bro bra who's the best hunter bullshit by like taking some animal you shot that you bought okay and making like you're the like like mighty joe hunter because it just makes it worse it makes the whole thing more commodified more pay to play at least have the decency and you know what i think I think the price of lease, if it wasn't for Mark Zuckerberg, it there would be more access and there would be, it would cost less. So that's, I guess I'm saying that's one, that's a first step to me is like, don't show me some deer you shot by locking up land for yourself. Hmm. Lots to unpack there. Here's, here's one thing I will say about that is that I understand your point. I understand why you're saying that. However, I would imagine that I, I just think there's a, a type of hunter that maybe your life experiences haven't really brought you to be in touch with a lot. Um, and that is some, like what I consider my family to be doing on our ranch. And that is intensive habitat management where I am looking at a buck right now that I passed last year is a fantastic deer. And I said, I think that this deer is younger. I think we can get it older. I think we can get it bigger. I can give somebody who's not disciplined $10,000. I can give them $100,000 and say, go lease wherever you want. And they would have shot that deer. And so that deer being bigger as a result of us increasing nutrition on the property and making sure that he has secure bedding and making sure that he's safe for people going and doing deer drives every single day during rifle season, right? Which absolutely happens in places on public land in Florida where I started hunting. And by being able to, you know, create this habitat and then go out there and have a hunting experience that I enjoy with my brother or my father or my friend or my girlfriend or my girlfriend's dad or whoever else, right? I think that there is value in that. Now I am with you that I should not take that animal as a uh as an example of how great Joey is, right? I agree. That, that, that that animal being dead does not mean like I got the biggest dick on the block. Right. So I'm with you on that, but I also don't think that I, I think it's diminutive to just say that, Oh, well that buck was killed on private land. And so no work went into that. You know what I'm saying? I think it's worse than no work that went into it. <laughs> How so? How is it worse than someone just walking up and taking something? I'm going to create a sanctuary where I grow big bucks for myself. Just doesn't seem like the right. No, I'm going to create a sanctuary where deer can act like deer. And I could shoot a mature animal. You would rather have it that I let people come in until every spike is so scared shitless that he can't even come out during daytime. Because everybody in the world is allowed to come and shoot whatever they want. I don't think that people lock up land for themselves because uh, out of concern for the deer. I think they do it out of concern for themselves. 
do you care more? Okay. Do you care more about why somebody does something or, the or it's, or it's consequence? Okay. Oh, I don't know what to think about the concert, like conservation. First of all, I'm fucking enjoying the shit out of this conversation. I'm glad. Appreciate- I'm enjoying talking to you, man. I, I yeah. love you just so we're clear. Yeah. No, because I, I, no, no, you're making me sweat now. God damn it. And like, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I don't, okay. People throw the word conservation around too loosely and you're, and and you're, you're a thinking guy. So you probably have something in mind when you say that, but if you told me that it's because of people that do the kind of habitat work that you and people like you are doing on their private land, that white tail deer are not going to go extinct. Then I'm going to be like, mm, okay, but I don't think white tail deer go extinct anyway. So that isn't the metric. Yep. So if you told me what conservation is to you is that some deer get to live out their whole life and get big horns. And I'm like, well, given that uh, if it's a few deer get to live out their life and have big horns or that more people that don't have a place to hunt get to shoot a forky, I'm going to be like, "Mm, I'd rather have more people get a forky. So what do you mean by conservation? Well, first off, I totally agree that the term is overused. And people say, I'm helping conservation by going hunting. And you paid $500 for a tag that all that's going to do is give the game warden enough gas to come check your license and pick up your granola bar wrappers. And then they go traipse around the wilderness area and scare the shit out of the elk, right? So like, I'm with you that conservation is overused. But here's the thing. What I care about is that these animals not only exist, right? What what if the only elk left in the world, or I can't even think of a great example though. What if the only deer left in the world were the ones living in downtown Atlanta in downtown Washington, D.C.? That's not what I want, right? Mm -hmm. And I am glad that places like Rocky Mountain National Park and Yellowstone exist. Would I love to hunt there? Absolutely. But I'm glad that they exist for people to go and have an interaction with nature, right? And to be able to see these elk and deer that otherwise everything were like giant wilderness areas in Montana with very accessible tags, they would never see an elk during September, right? And I know that you know that for a fact, right? These places with unlimited tags, your average Tom, Dick, and Harry going for a hike, not a hunter, is never going to have a personal interaction with an elk. Like they could have driving through Rocky Mountain National Park. Now, that said. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I certainly watch elk acting like elk every year. Okay. Well, that's mean like elk grazing in a meadow and bulin and all that. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's great. Is it more rare than... Then I wish it was. Yes. Is it more rare than it could? Then it is it less common than it could be because of like hunting nonprofits and 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 meat eater and hushing? Yeah. Well, I think that you've got a great point there, and I think that we can agree that we both like to see less people being brought in for profit or for personal uh, notoriety, which is 
just the stupidest shit in the world to me. And I understand that you agree with me on that. Yeah. That hunting for personal, you know, uh, applause basically is, is dumb. But to get back to the crux of the issue, there are people out there who 100% want to see that their property is, and there's people who are anti-hunters who will buy land and basically set it up as a little nature preserve. Oh but, yeah. There's a lot like, of that in Montana. Right? Okay. There's a, there's a, like, there's a stretch, uh, of front in the bear tooth where, um, I sometimes go that's like 75 miles where n- not that it's no, no public access, no public access for hunting. Nobody hunts it. So I, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Go on. And on our piece of property, I mean, the fact that you say you, I mean, no disrespect, but at this point, all you're doing is saying that you would have this altruistic motive. That you would rather everybody be able to come hunt rather than you have. No, I, I, that's not my stance. And that's not my stance with anything. I, I'm not saying a free for all with anything, even with block management or weha or any. So other what you're program. saying is that access should be extended to other people, right? But it's reasonable. To put some level of guards around it ab, to ab, take care ab, of the property. Well, you should. We How should be trying different? to maximize, maximize the. In my mind, what we should be trying to do is maximize the amount of happiness and fulfillment that hunting brings society. You know, and if if, if you're going to just open the doors, car car block to anybody on like some cherry chunk, obviously it's just going to get. If you wanted to maximize maximize the happiness that hunting brings to society, you would take every hunter in America and they would all get an elk this year. No, for that matter, they'd all be extinct. And then we'd have negative. You got to, no, you got to amateurize it out over human history. It's not maximizing it for (laughs) one year. Okay. I mean, well, so like kill all the brood stock so that there's none left. That seems like it would be the, the way that you'd minimize that. Like all the happiness comes in 2024. Okay. Well, here's one. For I you, think then. that that would be devastating to people. Like people, there would be people would be like so incredibly happy, unhappy knowing that they made health be extinct. Well, then here's one for you. How is how, if you want to maximize it, I would argue that managing for quality hunting is maximizing that happiness, right? Because if you look at it, right, don't you want people to be able to see large antler deer, mature deer, bucks breeding does in the daylight, deer chasing for three weeks around the rut, deer grunting, running around, elk bugling, you know, herds out in the daylight, not all these nocturnal, scared, shitless animals, right? And here's the other thing. No, pe- what do you mean people? Deer- I, okay, we, it's the choice is this. I'm not saying what the right choice is now. I have my ideas about this, but the choice is not. The choice is a very, very tiny get number of people get to see what you just said. Or a larger number of people get to see animals that are quasi-nocturnal. Or a huge number of people get to see completely freaked out game with PTSD. So you're taking the middle option. I, I, I don't know 
what the sweet spot is, but in my mind, the sweet spot isn't, I'm going to lease up this farm and I'm worried about the deer on this farm. I leased scooching over to the neighbors and getting shot there. Yeah. So I'm going to lease that too. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't, that seems, that just strikes me as selfish. But if you want to maximize people's enjoyment, right? I mean, let's just say, and I think you can agree that if I shot this exact same buck at two years old and an 80 inch rack, or if I shot that same buck at five years old with a 170 inch rack, okay, you're getting more enjoyment by having that deer live longer, having more people get to see that deer, having more people get pictures of it, having more people encounter that deer. That's one deer's life, whether it was killed at two or whatever other age I said, six, right? That's one deer's life. So by letting those deer get to maturity and letting other people, when I'm hunting does and I see bucks that are up and comers, like those ones that I passed last year that are 130, 140 inch deer that I'm excited about, that's great. I'm on my cell phone trying to zoom in, trying to take pictures through my scope. I'm horrible at it, but it's fun. I like seeing these animals. I like to be out there with them. Tons of people get to see those deer. And I know that everybody likes to clown on the guys that name deer. But guess what? It's pretty freaking cool seeing that deer year over year and seeing it get older and being able to say, hey, we're going to protect this one and let it get older and then maximize your enjoyment you can get out of killing that one deer. Because when you say, I would rather more, pe- I would rather everybody get to shoot a spike than one guy get to shoot an old deer. That's a false equivalency because every one of those spikes that you just protected is going to get older and they're all going to get killed as older deer, right? We Okay, so these are the, all things that could be if we want to, if we want to have bigger deer, these are all things that it, it's, it doesn't, it does it just doesn't ring true to me that that means the way to accomplish that is by let, making it so that fewer people can hunt there. Again, you I have antler restrictions hunting this year. I took 30 people hunting last year. Yeah. Okay. But did you take 30 people hunting last year? I don't have any place to take people hunting. I hunt public land. But you just said that you see elk acting like elk out there all the time. You know places. Why didn't you give 30 people your waypoints? I bet there's people who'd like them. I put 30 people in state. I'm not going to give people my waypoints. Why not? Because I I don't want more people where I hunt. I don't want more people where I hunt. Yeah. Oh, I don't understand. Okay. I'm losing the thread here. No, you're losing. I know. I, I don't. You shot 63 deer. If we're going to have an argument about like that, what you do is equivalent to what I do. I, I, if, okay, I could tell you right now without any doubt, if I had a place where I could shoot 63 deer, I would make damn sure that, that there weren't some neighbors that would love to shoot a deer before I shot. Before, before I shot my sixth deer, let alone my sure sixth. There's not a single responsible person who I know who goes, man, I would love to shoot a doe who I say tough luck to. There's not one of those people. They don't want to do so the So what's work this bit about why, why am I being wrong by not giving everybody my waypoints? Because what you're saying is that when I have a place, right, that we've developed, just like you found some of these waypoints, right? You're saying, well, you should let more people in there and let them shoot those bucks, even though they're only two. I welcome people to find the places I hunt on their own and go there. I 
welcome them to go wherever they want. Your model is I choose, I limit. And even if you're doing it right and you're letting on the the optimal number of people, there are still shitloads of people that are like, no, it's only for me. And not only that, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't even want them on the neighboring property. I welcome people to go to all the farms in Georgia. I used to hunt for deer and do chores for the farmers when it's 95 degrees. I welcome anybody who wants to, to go out there and work. 63 deer sounds like I had a lot of fun 63 times. And I'm not denying that I enjoy hunting, but I assure you it is work. And out of everybody that buys a hunting license, less than 1% of people would be willing to do what I did last year. Between the long hours hunting, the pack outs, the cleaning, the weighing, all that work. Think of all the work that goes into killing one deer. I did that 63 times. Plus, my father is disabled and I clean all of his deer and I pull the jaws and I do all that. He hunts with a crossbow and a rifle and he kills a ton of deer. And I help with all them. I help all the new hunters learn how to clean deer. I taught five people how to clean a deer for the first time in their life last year, right? Like there is a lot of work here and you're acting like I can just go to Home Depot on a Saturday morning and find 10 people sitting around who will all come and effectively. No, well, you don't have to go to, you just put up a sign, put up a sign. Would you like to shoot a doe? I, 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 as I sit here, I don't live where you are. But as I sit here, I'm very open to the possibility that if you went into the sporting goods store and said, doe hunters welcome, and then what people they sign the roster, and then you have blinds, and you go, you sit in this blind, you get a security deposit from them, and then if they shoot a buck, you get the money. Oh, man. So now you're advocating that someone pays me to shoot a deer. No, 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 no. If they accidentally shoot a buck, they pay a fine. Yeah. Punishable by fine just means legal for a cost. You know that, right? No, they don't get the deer. They don't get the deer. Okay. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that I think I'm losing the spread of where, where, where we, where we, where we disagree. And, and and what you want, like what I'm what getting is that what I'm getting is that you wish there wasn't a block management because it's hard on deer and it's hard yeah. on elk. You Absolutely wish there not. was not a weehaw because Absolutely. if there wasn't a weehaw, then there'd be more wildlife refuges where just small number of people got to see deer act like deer. Like you wit, I mean, I don't know. Do you wish there wasn't trailheads with four the forty trucks? Do you wish that was private? And that the, those were refuges too. I, I, I just, I'm trying to see. It seems like what you want is that all the hunting is for Jägermeisters and rich people, people that manage land and get to see small, tiny numbers of people that get to see lots of animals acting like Bambi and they get to shoot them and nobody else is in there mucking it up. Is that. Not quite. I see that as an extreme view on what I said. So let me go back to what I said before. I said, I'm sick of hearing about access as if that's going to solve all these problems. And no, and I agree. Access. I said access is a band-aid. What needs to stop is hunting promotion. I 100% agree with that. And I think that, you know, like I said before, your Renella 3D or whatever, the D-Glorify, 
I could not agree more. When I heard that, I was like, finally, somebody who I really agree with on this is that, you know, the glory around it is ridiculous because especially like you said, on a, a, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of places where you can go and someone else is doing all that work that I'm doing right now on our property. And you just get put in a blind and you pull a trigger and then, oh man, look at me, I'm hot shit, right? And I think you should never say, look at me, I'm hot shit, even if you killed it 12 miles in on public land, in which case, kudos to you because you got some brass nuts to shoot an elk 12 miles in. But still, like that is a that is a perversion, right, of what hunting should be. And I completely agree with you on that. But what I'm saying is that when people say, let's all just rally together around access, and let's get more people hunting more places. Is what's that good for? Seriously, what's that good for? Um, and, and it's okay. not good. Well, for then, the if if it's not good, then you, you then you you should you should double down on that. Say that you don't agree with programs that allow public hunting on private land. Here's what I, I mean: would if say. you really believe it. Like it just, it doesn't, I see where you're going and you're making some great points, but it doesn't seem like a fully formulated set of ideas to me because you're not, you're not, because like I, if I said to myself, if, if your, your premise seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, we need more wildlife sanctuaries and the air go, we need more people to buy up the land and have it be for them. And, and it's where they can shoot scores of deer when there's too many um so then as a a corollary if that's the axiom then a corollary of that axiom is um block management and weehaw and uh plots etc are anti-conservation okay let me add one. So like I said, you kind of took something I said and pushed it to the extreme, but that's good because that's how you test ideas. Here's what I would say. I'd say I'm against unfettered access pretty much across the board. So when you have these properties where there is infinity people going in, you see this with Colorado over-the-counter elk tags. It's the easiest uh, example because it's the furthest east for all these guys driving out from Virginia or Pennsylvania or whatever. And you see it I'm saying that that is not the best case scenario. For okay. Anybody. All right. It's not the best case for hunters. It's not the best case for the animals. Now, when you limit access, there's a few ways to do it. All right. And one of them that you clearly don't like, I think that it's not the best, but it's workable is through people have to commit a financial resource. And that financial resource is basically a stand in for their dedication to what they're going to do. Maybe they don't have the time or the ability to go out there and do habitat work or to go do whatever. That's fine. Here's the thing. What they can do is work back at home or maybe dr- not drive a Corvette or maybe not do this, that, or the other. And when that out-of-state person comes out to your state or to whatever, I don't think it's bad for them to have to contribute something to be able to come out there and hunt. I find that a lot of Western hunting, especially Western hunting media, and this is one of the biggest problems I've had with it, is completely extractive of the resource and it's exploitative of the resource. And it's this thing exists. It's out there. Here's how you go get it. I bet you there's 200 videos on YouTube right now that I could pull up that are how to find an OTC spot, how to use 
on X to find a place to go, how to uh, get permission to go hunt somewhere, how to do this, how to do that. If I search, and this isn't across the board, but a lot of whitetail content is focused around how to improve bedding cover, how to improve you know, the timber stands that you have, how to build habitat for the animals. I am animals first. Hunting occurs. Deer are hurting. Populations. Deer are hurt. Deer are white-tailed deer are, are not at risk of going extinct, though. I'm not concerned about white-tailed deer going extinct. Well, then, like, okay, but when I think of conservation, I think of there's some beleaguered species, and we want to make sure they're around for the future. What you seem to be describing to me is making sure that your property has lots of deer for yourself. Here's what could be going extinct. Giant, old, mature deer. No, because you take any young deer at any point in the future and let it grow and it'll have all those characteristics. It'll be old and big. But with unfettered access... No deer will get old and big. No deer will. I've hunted places in Florida where if but you you'll always for, point, for time immemorial, for time immemorial, you'll, you'll have the option to let one get big. If society ever deems it's, it's like, okay, it's just, not, it's point. not conservation in the traditional sense. So like, this is okay. To me, it's not, I'm going to have a place with lots of cover so that, I can, there's lots of deer there and they can grow old. That to me isn't conservation. Like, I think you, Joey, you, you make your case better by this. You, you should pick out, you should, I'm not telling you what to do. Here's an idea for you. You should, you could think about some species that lives in your neck of the woods. And I bet there are some that are actually threatened and make your argument that way. So okay. Here, quail, quail. Are there going you away. go. And guess there what? There you go. A lot of work for them. We plant a lot of pollinator blends. We plant a lot of stuff. All of our food plots benefit them. That's we don't awesome. plant. We don't drive tractors through them during ground nesting bird seasons. We try not to burn. Sometimes you have to burn when the turkey nests are out. But still, we do our best for it. We do predator control to protect the ground nesting birds. We burn that. We try to get rid of stuff like Johnson grass and Saracea, like I was saying. We promote little blue stem and big blue stem and switchgrass and other native grasses, right? So we build it back up. But I think a rising tide lifts all ships here, man. The fact that this land is prioritizing wildlife habitat, you can look at ours. I was just there a few days ago. Wildflowers all over, all these beautiful things. You go across the street to land that is uh, run for cattle production. doesn't really look like that. It's grazed down to about that high, right? You get pretty monoculture and you can say whatever you want about the guys, but they're making a living, right? They're out there grazing. They're out there haying four times in a wet spring, right? And you're getting stuff like that. The yeah. Guys well, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you, with a lot of what we're talking about now that we don't have a disagreement at all. I mean, if you look at my stated positions on things and I've taken the time to write them out, it's, I should add the word buy, don't lease or buy but leasing and buying hunting land for yourself is a last resort. And if you do do so, share it liberally. So I don't think that's incommensurate with what you're talking about. No, but I also have, uh, I mean, to some degree, I've done what you just said. I've shared it liberally. And frankly, it wasn't all my decision. I mean, I, I have a very heavy hand in what happens there. 
but it's owned by family members. It's not just mine. And if, you know, those who have sacrificed greater than I have financially uh, and those that live there full time say, hey, so-and-so is going to come hunt, then so-and-so gets to come hunt. And I'm just telling you, there are problems with that from the landowner's perspective, especially as a deer manager, but even just as a general landowner that I don't think you're acknowledging. And some of that headache can be offset by asking for nominal access fees. Another example of this is that, like I said, there's value to the land, there's value to the access to get to these animals. The friends on either side of us that I mentioned earlier, before we came in and got them in this program with us, they said, we would like it if we never see a deer on our property because they're planting wheat and stuff to grow up for their cows and winter wheat. And there's deer out there and they're mowing it down. They can't plant small plots of winter wheat. And they say, we want them all gone. And you show them that there is value to those animals, right? And I've even talked to them and said, look, if over time we're able to grow big deer and we get pictures of big deer on this property, that's going to increase the value of it when you go to sell it, right? And so by showing them that there's value, they make those deer a priority. And sure, they still want the numbers knocked back, which everybody wants healthy populations. We don't want a million skinny ass does running around. But now they're a little more open to it. They will call me sometimes, hey, I saw a big buck in Bell, but he's just outside the ears or whatever. And so now you've shown that there's value. And if those ranchers are able to get, you know, lease payments, then now all of a sudden they care a little more about those animals as opposed to, you know, deer are hurting. The the reason this doesn't ring, doesn't compute for me is because deer aren't hurting. Deer aren't hurting. If half of white-tailed deer died tomorrow, you wouldn't give a shit. You could only, you could only shoot thir- so you could only shoot 30, 30 next year. Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about you only shooting 30. No, that doesn't help me. I think I think you think that I went out there and tried to shoot as many as I can. I I don't th- I don't know what I don't know what you did. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like you were passing any up. Well, Probably. certainly all the young bucks or ones that I wasn't sure if they were button bucks or whatever else. I, the, the, I just you haven't yet made, you only made the conservation argument when I fed it to you. <laughs> so, because deer are not at risk. <laughs> so, no, like this, all this, like, well, if you show the rancher that the deer have value, then the deer will be protected. White tailed deer don't, aren't in need of protection. They're doing very, very well to the point where they're giving you 190 tags. For your place, so man, I, I just I understand, and, and, and and the bit about like big deer, big deer are endangered. Any point you can just let a deer grow longer, and he'll get old and big. So I just I don't see where like gobbling up access for yourself and excluding others, and it, it, it is a recipe for conservation. You know. I've got other things I'd like to talk about, but I I will say, like, I understand how this makes sense to you saying it, but like, if I said, Hey man, there's a ton of elk out there. So why does it matter if there's elk on this piece of property? You shouldn't care about the elk on this piece of property. It's like, why would you not want as much possible uh, opportunity and as much possible great deer habitat out there for more people to be able to go and enjoy the resource? And to your point earlier, to maximize the hunting, you know, when, if when- that piece of property, if I'm hunting for days, and this happens to me, I'm hunting for days in the mountains, and every day I'm looking down on a big ranch, and there's a herd of a thousand elk out there, 
and I haven't seen a track. And I know that last year, COVID, let's say, uh, 50% of that rancher's income came from the taxpayer. And it's just him and his rich buddies. I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to change any laws, but to me, that seems like a problem. Sounds to me like you have a problem with the government. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a problem with the government. I have the problem with, I have a problem with greed and I have really have a hunting, a problem with hunting media and hunting nonprofits in R3. I have a huge, I, I think this is probably the area in which you and I are most in lockstep. And we spend a lot of time uh, arguing and I generally, I mean, I don't, dislike you i don't have any no, hate in my heart for you dude, at all dude i know i like you more I, I didn't know you before i like you more because you've challenged me i mean like yeah well not, I, I will say that those people are out there and frankly you are saying so many of the same points that a lot of them say this whole field the fork thing where let's take people from the city who are going to have a really hard time accessing hunting and let's drag them out here and get them hooked on hunting so that then they can just be bitter and angry that other people own land is like, you know, it just, it seems funky to me. Right. Yeah. And I, I just have to say, I am not bitter about people owning land. I I'm saying I, I, if I could have, I could afford a lease, no problem. I could afford a lease. I could afford to buy a little hunting property. I don't have interest in that form of hunting. So I cannot be accused of being bitter like jealous of people that own land. I don't have a desire to have an exclusive hunting property. I desire to work towards everybody having a place to go. And I know you struggle with that. And I understand it. I understand what you're saying. And you actually moved me a little bit, but like, but I mean, my number one priority you're behind you know, so you agree on my number one thing, which is no hunting TV, no R3, no hunting social media. Yeah. I think that I'm, I'm trying to, I guess maybe there's like some scenario, but to be honest, anytime, like I'll, uh, I'll I'm a big bow hunter, right? And I've got a few hunts planned for this year. And like in preparing for them, I maybe like we'll do some research or I'm hunting a type of animal this year that I've never hunted before. And I'm looking for like kill zone, uh, you know, areas and like different anatomy and maybe more material about this. And I'm on Google and then I'll see a YouTube video and I'll watch it. And there's some channels that I'm like, God, I like, I don't want to give them the view. Like I want the, the info out, but like, I just, I can't bring myself to, to give this one of you because I know they're involved in spot burning or, Hey, here's how you can get into it or whatever. And I just think that's so, that's so antithetical. Uh, yeah, to like yeah. The spirit of, I just say, I have a taste issue with it. I just don't agree with using hunting to draw attention to yourself. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's extremely immature and tacky. Yeah. I agree with that. And even some of my background, you know, I, I don't know who it was who I was talking to on Instagram. Uh, from the Hunt Quietly page, who was David, talking David, to David Fontenot. Yeah. Okay, so David was asking me, he said, how do you have, whatever, 8,000 followers in a private profile? Uh, how'd you swing that? And I said, well, I used to have 13,000 followers and a public profile. And I did a lot of self-promotion from the fishing perspective because 
so many of those guys, and I don't know what it is. I think it's just like that slightly older group of guys that gets real excited about Facebook and stuff. Like a lot of them were involved in the fishing community. And that was a big way for them to kind of see your street cred immediately was to go on and see your fish and see where you had been and what you had experience with. Oh, wow. Joe's caught a lot of Wahoo. You know, oh, you know, look at this. Joe's he's done some Marlin bait rigging. He's done this. He's fished in the Bahamas. He, he knows whatever. And so I really built that up. And then I got to a point where um, I started coming around to a lot of what you say. And I was like, man, this really, especially once I was no longer working in that space and I was no longer kind of, I, I had one pro staff deal for kind of the, what I would consider to be like the top brand in kind of fishing apparel and some certain types of gear and whatnot. And for a little while, I thought that kind of the way to keep doing it was to keep getting on more of these pro staffs. And then you're able to network with those guys. And I was able to meet people and work with people who were on fishing shows and whatever else. And I thought that was kind of like the way to, you know, continuing to to do basically marketing for myself. But after I stepped out of that and was working, I worked as an engineer for a little while before I moved into my current role uh, with a different company, but still doing business development for engineering firms. And at that time, I was like, you know, this really isn't helping anybody. And I had posted like my first buck on there, right, that, that we talked about that I killed. And I was so excited about it. I was like, man, I don't know who this is benefiting. So I shut it down publicly um, and I removed some people who I didn't know and whatnot. And then honestly, I just don't really post in that number has just kept dropping. And I don't know what that is. If that's people who are just like, oh, I've never seen anything from this guy and they unfollow. And I'm totally fine with that. I don't care. I wouldn't care if I had five followers, but I really don't post that much. And, you know, occasionally when I do, a lot of times it's things around, uh, you know, like it'll just be a story. So it's only there for 24 hours and it's, hey, here's us you know, doing a burn, right? Because it's cool to see a, a field go up in fire or, or whatever else. And I try. Well, that's habitat all, management. I'm all about posting that shit. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know the last time I posted. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I got pictures on my phone, man, of 10 deer laying in a pile. I mean, like I told you, and me up to my elbows and coolers full of quarters. No, oh, you're, exactly, you're exactly what Insta hunters want to see. You could have unlimited. <laughs> Well, zero you, of that. You could have you your what, you could have your shirt off, gutting five deer, drinking beer out of their rib cages, all kinds of crazy stuff that, that everybody likes to see. You know, yeah, that's disgusting to me. And you know, like I well, said, a I lot of people love it, man. There's a huge. I mean, look at the the biggest names in hunting have are people well, that shoot. I, like I, the biggest names in hunting are people that shoot twenty animals a year. Just think how good yeah. you could do. Well, nobody wants to see those. Um, they want to see horn porn, but yeah, you know, it's like the, the, you know, things that we do kill, you know, my dad and my brother shot nice bucks last year and I was there helping them. I was with my dad for his buck this past year and the year before I helped them. And, um, you know, I'll send those pictures to my friends and we talk about it and there's like eight people and I get great enjoyment out of like doing that and having a discussion. But in my personal life, I work for a company that, uh, is very large. Uh, basically anybody in the construction industry has probably heard of them and they are, I would say a little bit left leaning. Uh, you know, we have ESG goals, stuff along those lines. And Wait, are you, are you not at Liberty to say, I don't think it would be wise. Okay. Yep. Same with um, me. So, yeah. So the, uh, I work with a lot of people who I guarantee you, if you walked up to them and said, what do you think of trophy hunting? Carte blanche, 
Absolutely not. That is the most disgusting shit on the face of the planet. I consider myself a trophy hunter, as you've probably noticed on this call. But I think that that term has been hijacked by people like who you're talking about, who have an extractive view of wildlife, who say, what can I get out of this? What can I take away and do? I think that shooting, as I've mentioned, and I know you disagree, but whatever, uh, shooting and growing these larger rack deer are signs of a healthy ecosystem where everything is thriving, things are working well. That's an awesome thing for me to see and be a part of and to help my friends and family harvest. Now, well, let me ask you this. Okay. What do you think? Okay. So the NSSF data is on board with this too. Like they're pulling data, you know, some enormous, no, like some major, like huge my, majority of Americans are on board with hunting for meat. They're not on board for with trophy. What do you think is when, wh- what do you think that they're picturing? I think that they are imagining somebody shooting something. They're imagining some fat asshole who just showed up and, you know, didn't do any work. They came in for one day, they shot a lion and they sat on its back and they pulled its head up and said, this makes me feel like a big tough guy. And then they left it there and maybe they took horns, maybe they took skins, whatever, and didn't utilize the meat, whatever. I think Do you people, think what if it was a what if it was a large deer? Okay, the person doesn't get to know all that. Look at okay, okay. let me put let me just put it this way. Let's say you let's say I took a not this would be an interesting thing to do. Take some no non-hunters and say, mm-hmm. okay, here's a picture of somebody like holding up the head of a large deer that they just shot. Is that a trophy hunter? What do you think they'd say? Well, I think the worst way to introduce somebody is through those pictures. And that's one of the problems I have, like you say, with public social media that's meant to self-promote because that's what they see first. What I was getting at before is I work with a lot of people very close. Yeah, but what do you think they'd say? Sure, maybe. They pro- okay. Know, probably. I don't know. I don't know. If they If they see a picture, I have a picture of me with a 20 inch wide buck that I shot is a 20 inch wide, 10 point white tail. I shot in Florida for Florida. That is a giant. And I am smiling from ear to ear. I'm holding my bow. I'm covered in water because it was raining, right? Like it's just, that picture means a lot to me because I know what all happened to go into that. I know buttering up and helping the rancher to get permission. I was in a climbing tree stand in a palm tree sitting through like rainstorms because I'm in the swamp, right? Like that's just part of it. And these people I work with, I introduce them to hunting through the most like slow and methodical way that you can imagine. And they understand that my family owns property and very few people get mad at the fact that there are cows on our property. Right. And from there I go, yeah, we use regenerative ranching principles. So here's what that means. Right. And then, uh, okay, we also do a lot of work for habitat management for wildlife. We're trying to increase quail and turkey populations because they're really hurting in our area. These pollinators, uh, you know, in these areas, we do the prescribed burns and I tell them about that and they get real excited. And then, yeah, part of it is we manage our deer in conjunction with the state biologist. And we have, we actually work with two biologists. We have our own biologist who is a PhD who we've hired, who we work with directly. We also work with the state biologist We work with the state game warden and everybody comes together and we have calls with each of them. And so, yeah, that involves killing some deer. Okay. 
what, you know, oh, really? Yeah, here's some deer summer sausage that I've brought in. I'm going to eat some of this. You're more than welcome to try some. Oh, let me explain to you, you know, this is what happens with every single deer that I shoot. I don't go in and say, here's a picture of me covered in blood, holding the buck. Also, I shot 63 deer last year. That's like the stupid, there's hunters that that turns off. That turned you off when you first heard it, right? It's like, well, still, it still kind of does, but I mean, (laughs) well, when you kind of explain this backstory and you don't go in it, I don't even say, I mean, nobody really knows who I am on this podcast and I don't want anybody to know who I am. That's part of why I don't say who I work for and stuff, but like, I don't say that I killed 63 deer to brag because if anybody had the drive and had, you know, the physical ability of me and the desire, they could go out there and shoot a lot of those deer. Just like if anybody had, you know, let's say you're mad about someone or not, I shouldn't say you're mad, but you take issue with someone going and shooting a $20,000 elk somewhere. And it's like, well, anyone could have done that with the $20,000. I agree that anybody with the gifts and opportunities I've been given could like, and you know, the drive to do it for the betterment of the property, not because I want to say I killed 63 deer, right? Could go out there and shoot any one of those individual deer. And so it's not something to brag about. It's, Hey, here's what we do. Yeah, I hunt. And then over time, I, it'd be tough to do a before and after survey because like the whole point of my approach is somewhat gorilla, like sneaking up on them with hunting. But it's, I would imagine that I have really turned the tide on at least a dozen people, you know, who are soccer moms who, you know, there's a guy I work with who's vegetarian who just, when I came back, I gave a bunch of zucchini from our garden and I was explaining stuff to him. And I've talked to him about regenerative ag and you know, how we uh, harvest deer and how I eat the deer we harvest and how we donate some. And I get people here for our cause. The biggest load of bullshit that I hear, this is even worse than this freaking social media stuff, is some people out there, at least one of which you have had on your podcast. I'm not saying you're giving them a platform like you are debating him. I'll talk to pretty, pretty much anyone, you know. It's absolutely. Like, well, if you'll talk to me, I mean, the bar is pretty low. That's all I'm saying. No, dude, you're like... <laughs> Like but, I said, like a second ago, not I winced when I said, like I'm not sure how I feel about the 63D, or I believe that they need to be shot. Um, I yeah. just, I just think that I just want to, I just would, I'd have to be there and see it. Sure. But like, well, the point, I the just, point I was I was just saying, I, there's a lot of people that want to shoot deer that never get to shoot a deer. That's the only thing I'm well, saying about that. But no, you seem like a completely reasonable person to have on this <laughs> podcast. Well, the people who. What I'm saying is there's people who say, well, we need to recruit hunters because we need them at the ballot box. We're getting our butt kicked. Wolves got reintroduced to Colorado and bear season got canceled and this and that. And they come back and they say, we need hunters at the ballot box. It's like, dude, you think hunting crowding is bad now? Like what? 5% of people hunt? Get 51% of people to hunt. Oh, yeah. It's like. Well, their argument, I've never, I'm the only one that's made this argument that I'm aware of, but it's a it's a good one it's just they don't use it they should and i shouldn't be giving them ammunition but it's like the if you go from let's say you go from four percent of americans hunt if it it, to seven or eight then you've just dramatically increased the number of people that um have that know somebody that hunts that they care about I understand that argument, but here's the thing is that 
And, and I'm not saying that's an argument you're making, but let's say it goes from four to eight. It's like everybody grab someone you know and introduce them to hunting. That's the R3 movement, okay? If I grab my uncle who doesn't hunt and introduce him to hunting, right? Well, then what? Now my grandma is close to someone who hunts. Like we're in the same circle already. You know what I'm saying? The people who I would introduce who are easiest for me to introduce, like they're already kind of close. So I get what you're saying. I don't think to go from four to eight doubles the number of people who know. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, it's it like, doesn't double. It doesn't double. You know, I yeah, think it, it does. It by it, maybe 10%. Okay. Maybe. Gotcha. You know, but yeah. also here's the thing again, I know that every single person who hunts, you just who, made, you just, now I'm like, you're, you're making my arguments better for me. The, the thing is, well, I, I mean, agree with you on a lot. Yeah, you agree thing. with me, Souls. Like, I'm yeah. anti bringing in more people. I think that what I was explaining before about explaining and showing hunting in a reasonable light to people and showing, in my case, it's a force for conservation and it is a tool in the toolbox. If you outlaw hunting carte blanche, and I don't think that's happening, I'm not, you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater, but Let's say that you outlaw hunting totally like this turns into a shit show. There's a lot of rednecks who are going to be out there spotlighting deer at night and shoot them off the side of the road. These deer are still going to die. They're going to get hit by cars. They're going to be shot on depredation permits, all this stuff. Disease. Over time, if you introduce people, absolutely. Starvation, right? Uh, winter yeah. kill. Like if you introduce these people to somebody who shows up every day in a dress shirt and is it out there, you know, hobnobbing with, people and showing that, Hey, there's a respectful way to do this. And it's not all the whatever asshole hunter from Bambi or like, frankly, that maybe they've seen some uh, national Enquirer story about some Cecil the lion or like whatever, right. That puts this horrible image in their mind. And then I come in and talk to them and over time they go like, wow, okay. Joe's like a reasonable guy. And I don't go in the first time I talk to someone and say, Hey, here's what I do. And you better get on board. It's over time. And, you know, you feel it out. You have some, I basically work in, I work in business development, which is a fancy way of saying sales, basically. And like, you get a feel for people. You understand, hey, I'm not going to push it with Sally or, hey, Bruce is interested in this. And let's talk a little bit more about this. Um, There's ways to do that without recruiting additional hunters, but still getting people to respect the cause. And I think saying that we need to recruit more hunters for the ballot box is just like, so asinine in my opinion because yeah, agreed, the areas obviously. that can support more hunters with low population densities are already extremely pro hunting you know these yeah. areas like where we are in oklahoma nobody needs i don't need to bring in more hunters to get like hunting legislation passed in oklahoma nobody is outlawing hunting in oklahoma right 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 yeah so you know that's just I, I can't I can't get on their side with that argument and when it's used well, okay I don't think that I don't think that they're on their own side okay the people that are saying this are people that make more money when there are more hunting hunters I don't think that anybody believes that really like I don't think that I don't think any like person that's capable of like advanced real, thought. Yeah, yeah like thinks that the key to keeping hunting viable is recruitment. Um, I, they, it's, it's that, that, that the people that say that are, are 
but vast majority of them make money off hunting. It's like, so that, it, yeah, the, the ballot box issue is just, here's how bad it is. I just was, I just learned yesterday this. I was talking to this guy that here's how <laughs> explicit it gets. I was talking to this guy that has been involved in college clubs for backcountry hunters and anglers. Okay. And he is telling me that he went to a training this March, March of 23. And it's a, it's a, a leadership training and it had, and they're talking about college clubs and the training and the uh, development put on by BHA. Yes. Okay. It's at the BHA rendezvous. Oh, and the, the, what's it called? The development coordinator. He's a, it's a paid position for BHA is here's what he, here's his training. Here's the, like what the, the messages he delivers. The only messages I'm, is if, if I'm under, as I understand it, were when kids show interest, students show interest and start coming to the meetings, the college club meetings for BHA, don't ask them to do conservation work. It should be about having fun. Um, and that's all we want to focus on at this point is getting them to have fun. But the most important thing, the most important thing, is to get them to sign up. And more importantly than that, get them to give you, make sure they provide their email address. Because that is how we, that is our instrument from get, for getting donations from the hunting industry is showing a very large email list comprised of People interested in young people <laughs> who are going to graduate that are just getting into hunting. That's kind of horseshit, man. I mean, oh, can you, that's how do people take that, and experience? then they tell you that they need to do it for conservation <laughs> and that they need to do it for ballot box issues. But you've also heard my state, like how it, like the, the conservation bit is bs too because of all the peer-reviewed literature that shows how like how horrible intense hunting pressure is for wildlife right the number that's i I keep saying this is the number one thing i agree with you on but like it's i have so many things i really agree with you on this is such a great example and it's what i was saying before people say i'm doing my part for conservation because i went and hunted over-the-counter elk the number one thing you could do for conservation is get a flat tire on the way there and leave those damn elk Elk alone (laughs) you know like please you're absolutely absolutely that is such a great way of saying that that's such a i choose to hunt elk i'm going to start saying that because it's fucking true and i'm I'm not i'm not gonna bullshit myself like so many people i choose to hunt elk even though it's bad for them (laughs) well you know if if you're hunting in colorado i gotta think that i mean would you agree with that hunting in colorado yeah i mean you know it's to the point now i won't go over the counter uh oh you're not hunting an over-the-counter tag no I, i you know i sit back and i wait and i'm store up my couple points and I go to a spot, you know, because 
the over the counter crowd, you know, I, I don't want to get too far into it, but even like the thing I was involved with your brother on was because of somebody being really reckless hunting. And I just, I see so much unsafe behavior, you know, wait, you, what, what, go, go, go ahead lay it out. Well, the, uh, so I don't know how familiar you are with everything he's done. Um, but there was a, like a campfire close calls, but audio book. Are you aware of this? Uh Uh-uh. New Year put out basically uh my dad and I were interviewed about a scenario in which I was in the field with my dad actually we we were not on Weeha I was going to say we were on Weeha land in Kansas but we were out there and uh yeah a hunter we were with uh was careless and basically shot my dad at eight yards and so we were out there in the middle of nowhere my dad's shot he's bleeding out uh, with a rifle uh with a shotgun we were pheasant hunting Okay. And so eight yards of 12 gauge with pheasant shot and absolutely demolished his, uh, his right arm kind of in the crook of his arm pellets all through his lungs, collapsed lung, broken ribs, oh my God. Uh, liver, kidney, everything. And, uh, you probably heard me mention before that my dad's handicapped now. And that's why, um, Okay. so I put a tourniquet on his arm and I waited there with him and I called nine one one and I sat with him in the hospital for, uh, 11 days straight while he went through surgery after surgery after surgery. And he survived by, by that much by kind of a makeshift tourniquet in the field and whatnot. Um, and so just a gruesome, horrible story. And I, uh, I just, I really don't have patience for hunters being careless because you go through that with anybody, but with your dad and it's just a horrible thing to see, man. I, I don't wish, I truly don't wish that on anybody, you know? Oh. And so, that's part of why now, I can't even imagine what that would be. I yeah, can't even it's, imagine. I don't want you to, man. I, I really don't. It's even and talking poor, about it. Even, even the guy, I, I also have a lot of sympathy for the person that shot him. I mean, yeah. I mean, the guy was our, uh, I, I've made, I've made a lot of, I'm like a clumsy person. I've never shot somebody or even come close, but yeah. I can imagine. I, I mean, it's like, it yeah, he wasn't happens. holding, he wasn't holding the gun at the time, but basically he laid a gun down flat loaded with the safety off pointed at my dad and oh. there were bird dogs running around. And next thing you know, bang and dad's on the ground screaming and it's, oh, uh, man. you know, but e- even talking about it and I didn't even necessarily want to publicize it. Um, I talked to my dad about it, uh, and, uh, your brother uh, and his group reached out to us and asked if we would, uh, you know, be part of this. And my dad really wanted to partially from a story of cautionary tale gun safety, but. Oh, it, it, it definitely, it definitely in to some extent lessens the, the reduces the odds that happens to other people. Yeah. You know, and that's, but, he did it partially for that. And also partially because he wanted to, I don't know. I guess when something like that happens to you, it just really changes your perspective. And you can imagine my dad is a different man now than he was before that happened. And to yeah. some degree, I'm a different person. I mean, probably not in as noble of a way as, as my dad, but I mean, you, you go through something like that, it changes you a little bit, you know? And uh, he, you know, he wanted to talk about, it. he talked about from the stance of forgiveness and, you know, uh, everything else. And it sucks. I mean, the guy that, that shot him, whose gun it was, that was basically my dad's best friend for the last like 12, 15 years. And the thing, like families are completely strange. Now we, oh, they never talk to us. They won't return our calls. It's like, 
It's just well, a why why did it go there. that way? And it seems like there was there was going to be bitterness. It'd be from your family directed to, at theirs. Yeah, you know, I mean, they just you know, I, 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 we don't need to get into the fine points of it. I just yeah, I, just, I, I can't tell you what goes on in that mind. Frankly, I can't even tell you what goes on in my mind about it. You know, it's yeah. like it's just one of those things. So, but anyways, back to talking about hunting. <laughs> you know, it's like. I, I really, um, I think there is a safety factor to having all these people out there in the woods too. And everyone jokes about the orange army, but you saw it a couple of years ago. Someone got shot in Colorado hunting with bow equipment. Someone shot him with a muzzle loader, you know, and that's, I definitely get excited and very like revved up to go shoot an animal, but you can't tell me that like sending more people into the field with a lust for making a kill uh, rather than like a love of the pursuit that's come organically it you know yeah there's a safety aspect but it's like we said it's not good for the animals it's not good for the sport it's not something i'm interested in frankly yeah but well, it's a big uphill push for you and for me because there yeah. is, i mean within the hunting industry and the nonprofits and a large um portion of the hunting community which is completely indoctrinated and sucked into the dogma it just is received wisdom it goes without saying that we should always be striving to make it be so that there's more people hunting yeah and i'm not completely opposed to to paying for hunting i mean i'm going i've never been no i know that i get that life, now but, but yeah. i'll be going on an outfitted hunt uh, shortly here and then like i said potentially going with my buddy who's an outfitter in kansas so i may be going on two this year and I think that, you know, spending that money and a, a lot of that goes to those landowners to make sure that deer and, you know, other animals are are prioritized on the landscape. And I understand that, you know, we have our disagreements about that, but I think that there's a way to do that. And there's a way to make that message heard without just saying, you know, you see it all the time, people getting pinched for doing illegal stuff that they just could not keep their mouth shut. And keep off social media. And I'm not saying they should have done it and kept quiet. I'm saying they did this illegal thing because they just had to have something to put on Facebook or had to have something to put on Instagram to keep going. And that's just the biggest perversion of something that is so integral to my life and what has meaning to me that it's it's just disgusting. And it really turns me off of anybody who's out there trying to make a dollar off of hunting. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So. Well, I really appreciate your perspective and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and challenge and challenge me on some of my views. Um, yeah. So, um, thank well, you. It was, it was great talking to you. Thanks for taking the time. And hopefully somebody that, you know, hopefully somebody listens and, you know, something resonates with them and just realize that that's, you know, hunting kind of has a purpose and I, I'm all for it and I love it and I like doing it with people I care about, but I don't think that means that we need to take the entire world and put them out there to the detriment of the wildlife. Yeah. Or the existing hunting community or that. Absolutely. So, all right, Joey, I really appreciate it. Uh, nice, nice talking with, with, with you. I am always heartened when to encounter another soul that's, actually put some thought into this stuff so absolutely no i spent a lot of time sitting alone in a 
in a tree stand or looking for deer. 63 don't come easy. And it's like, <laughs> I think about this a lot. So I'm glad to hear people like trying to talk about it as opposed to just like rah, rah and, you know, sponsors and whatever else. So yeah. I appreciate what you're doing, man. All right. Take care. Have a good one, Matt. All right. See bye. You. Bye now.